welcome to another rousing edition of Trending Topics with BB. I am your humble host, Brooke Brown, hence the BB. Well, we are back for a brand new episode from my long hiatus and with a new guest. But before I introduce my lovely guest, I do want to remind you to log on to the official website, which is trendingtopicswithbbpodcast.com. There you find everything related to this podcast, including the social media links, the new episodes, all of the specific platforms where you can find this, as well as any updates. And if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other related platform, please leave a favorable rating and comment. It helps this podcast be found by other listeners such as yourself and keeps this podcast going. And I appreciate it. And for those that are waiting on the update of the merchandise, it's going to be a long time. I don't know if I'm going to even create a new merchandise store. It's a lot to think about, but I appreciate all of those that did buy the old merch back in the day. Now, my guest on this podcast is the executive producer of the DJ Sessions, which is a lovely... Well, we'll talk in depth about what it is. It's content creation. It's a it's a media company. It's awesome. Uh, Darren Bruce. We have a lovely long conversation about content creation for DJs, the electronic dance scene, and anything related. So without further ado, I'll give you my lovely conversation with Darren Bruce. Welcome to a brand new episode of Trending Topics with BB. I'm back with the guests, as you can see. Um, We are in my new studio, as you can tell. Uh, It's been a while since I I did a podcast um, from people who listened to the last episode will know why. But I do want to welcome Darren. Uh, We've connected through... Funny enough, a lot of the same people over the years, and just we're here now. Um, so welcome, Darren, and let's uh, get into the DJ session. So welcome to the podcast. Absolutely, BB. Thank you for having me on the series. Awesome. So I want to start at the beginning because in the research of the DJ sessions, you've been at this pretty much as long as I have, but you've created so many more episodes than I have. Um According to your website, you have like over 2,300 episodes and counting. Correct. Um, this is 158. So <laughs> a little behind on that. But um, so let's talk about your love of like electronic dance music as well and why it intrigued you to start interviewing DJs like I have over the last, I guess, decade myself. Yeah. Um, great question. Um, you know, I started. I've been playing with video cameras since the age of six and um, we had the first one on the block. So I just fell in love with video and I watched movies. We had the first VCR, you know, in the neighborhood. So star Wars, Indiana Jones, I probably, I was telling my girlfriend last night, I probably have seen empire strikes back over 150 times without breaking a sweat, maybe more than that, you know, growing up and I just loved making movies and movies and television shows as a kid growing up. So when I turned 18 and I went to my first nightclubs, you know, everyone was dancing. There was no real outlet for videoing or capturing that moment. It was all what was in your head. Then you talked about it with your friends next week. And um, then you obviously that would hype up for everything going out next week. Like, you can't believe what we saw. This is so awesome. So um, I started working for a public access television show right out of high school at 18 years old, a hip hop television show but was going out to the nightclubs and just over the years working with that show, going and seeing hip hop acts, seeing what my friend Giorgio Brown was producing, then coming back and seeing that put to the TV, seeing me on TV, you know, I kind of fell in love with the medium. Well, I kind of also had a secret thing going on in a sense that I was going out to electronic music clubs as well. 
And there was nobody with video cameras in the electronic music clubs. I mean, really nobody out there. Not like what we were doing with the Cool Out Network. And that was Giorgio's thing, which was a hip-hop R&B show. So um, set the way forward clock to 2000. And I decided to break away and do my own series, a show called Phantasmagoria. And put that on Fox, got all approved and a lot of fun stuff. And then later on launched a show called Image Nightlife. And that was where we'd go into the nightclubs, interview the DJs. We had 30 minutes on, on broadcast television to, to put together an episode. So think like, oh, we're meeting the nightclub, we're meeting the promoters, we're meeting the DJs, did it, did it, did a little bit of B-roll, 30 minutes out the door. I set the way forward clock to 2005 when podcasting YouTube came out, distribution became a lot more easier. Um, you weren't bound to certain times on uh, broadcast television or public access. And the amount of content that we could then grab in a night, instead of just putting together a 30-minute episode, we could do one-hour episodes. You know, like almost have a whole band, a whole set from a band and put that whole band online if we were doing that kind of show or a full DJ show and put a DJ set on. Set the way forward clock to 2009 and I started getting into live streaming and um, started doing live streaming of sets, DJ sets. And our shows would go for four hours long and we would have a DJ perform for an hour. So while you say you might have 158 episodes, you can see why our numbers can quickly exponentially grow because I filmed four episodes in one sitting. And so that has led to basically, you know, over the years, our average is about, you know, if we've been around for 12, 13 years, you know, we have 2,300 episodes and about 200 episodes a year, which would equate to about four hours of production every week. Um, if we're doing that, where we're going to go, though, and ramp up to is we're looking at getting up to starting this month. We're at about 40 hours of content a month. We'll be ramping up to 60 to 100 hours of content over the next few months. And 2023, probably a clock is at about 120 to 150 hours of content or episodes per month. So wow. getting well, started in all this, I hope that kind of gives you a little bit of the history of where we started, where we're going. And, you know, my passion, what I did turn it into was for electronic music and featuring independent DJs um, that normally wouldn't have a medium, an outlet, video production skills, and getting them exposure to a worldwide audience. Kind of the DJ sessions handles the back-end marketing and pushing to the shows. The DJs come on and play. And then everyone around the world sees them. And it was in 2009 when I started the show, I had a DJ by the name of Dave Dresden uh, come oh, by. Gabriel Dresden? I know yeah, Gabriel Dresden. Yeah, you know, just those guys, right? Just, yeah. I, I had interviewed Dave earlier that year at Winter Music Conference in 2009. And he was coming to Seattle that late that year. And I said, hey, would you want to come on the show and do a guest interview in a, in a mix? And he said, yes, it was PR people. And he came on the show. And when he was playing my bedroom, I said, I'm on to something here. And kind of went full bore, got a new studio down in Pioneer Square in Seattle. And kind of the rest was history of now merging the show with celebrity DJs, doing interviews and guest mixes. And then also focusing on our local DJs and resident DJs. So it's been a wild ride. Um, lots of ups and downs, ins and outs, few burnouts over the years. But um, it wasn't until we were, we were made a featured partner with Ustream back in the day. But it really wasn't until 2018 till we had to find two new platforms, um, two companies we were working with. 
which shall not be named, but one starts with a U and ends with a stream, and the other one starts with a go and ends with a daddy. Um, basically, kind of did go. Basically, Ustream got bought out by IBM, and GoDaddy slapped our hand for the fifth time because we were doing about oh 90 to 120 terabytes of data on a shared hosting plan for 14 dollars a month which you're not supposed to do even though they say you get unlimited bandwidth and unlimited storage you don't and so we had to switch everything over and uh we approached twitch and twitch onboarded us as a featured partner one of their first featured partnered live streaming dj shows and put us to the front page of twitch and we were not expected that we did not expect that and we had like 2500 2700 viewers in like two hours and the chat room was going crazy and i was going crazy and luckily our stream held where we were where we were streaming from and at that moment i said this is now time to get serious so you know it's it's just i always love the medium now of, of you can see the journey of starting with playing with a video camera as a kid where you could only put the VHS tape and watch it on TV to, into public access to then broadcast television to podcasting to live streaming. The medium has always been something I've just loved and live streaming. I love it the most because it's what you see is what you get. You know, if you make a mistake, yeah, now there's been some stuff that I do in post-production and I can sometimes record a show and re-air it. Um, but I just love the fact that it's now it's here. It's distributed. It's done. I can move on to the next next show, you know. Right. And that's just the challenge. A lot of people can burn out on that pretty quickly, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. You know, I've been at this for almost as long, but you know, it's been my hobby, so it's not been my main day job. But so burnout, I understand because it's that. Well, since we've seen the onslaught of podcasting in the last ten years, where now everybody has one and has tried it. It's like, who's going to continue to create content and adapt to all these new platforms like Twitch uh, or YouTube or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I can understand from the same type of content creator. I guess my question, my next, I mean, since you mentioned Dave Dresden, and I know you have a long list. I mean, you have BT. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, <laughs> but you, you mentioned how you kind of started in like hip hop. But what drew you into electronic dance music? Because I love all kinds of music, but I'm really, I, you know, one of my big loves is electronic dance music. I even did like Ignite Phoenix here, which is in a, a kind of like a community TED talk without being part of TED. And I did a speech about six years ago on electronic dance music and why I love it. So and from your perspective, and also because Seattle does get a lot more well, from our perspective here in Phoenix, it gets a lot more people going through Seattle, um, mainly if it's if, if an artist is going to also tour into Vancouver and, you know, so forth. So how did you get into electronic dance music? You know, that's a great question, because as a kid growing up, my brothers were into rock music. Everyone was into rock music. I liked seven. I like disco music. I like 80s pop. You know, not to say I didn't like ACDC and, 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 and Metallica and those bands, but my brothers were punk rockers. And as a kid, everyone that I knew was kind of going towards in the 90s or that late 80s was going towards the Guns N' Roses, the, um, you know, Poison, the, the, the glam band kind of big right. hair stadium rock kind of things. 
And I was starting to branch into hip hop. And, you know, I, I mean, one of my first records I ever got or cassette tapes I ever got was uh, Run DMC. I was just talking about this the other day. Run DMC, um, not tougher than love, Raising Hell. That was when they did the crossover with Aerosmith. Nice. And then my mom later on got me a tape by UTFO, which like my mom's my mom's completely like white lady as white as you get Americana. And she went to the record store and I guess they said, here, your kid's going to love this. So here I am at like, I don't remember how old I was, but I'm listening to Roxanne Roxanne. And I'm like, yeah, this is cool. And that was like the new thing that was like out of disco and 80s pop rap was this new thing. Rock was there and been there for 50 years, 60 years. Rap was brand new and to hear it coming out was so awesome. And I think later on, just, you know, getting into uh, my brother got me in and introduced me into too short, you know, and, and that was like, yeah, he became yeah. Like my guy. I mean, my childhood anthems were too short. And then, you know, I get, you had the more two live crew and then you started having UMTV raps and, and, and rap music, hip hop started becoming more mainstream and out there, but it was, um, it was a dance club. You know, I, you'd go out to the clubs and there'd be top 40 music. Which we had a station here, Cube 93. That was kind of the hit station. But there was also a lesser known station called C89. It still is one of the longest dance music radio stations, I believe, in the world at this point. It started as a high school's dance music station and, um, you know, uh, as a kind of a program to teach kids broadcast radio and has just grown into a, a bigger, bigger station every year. A really awesome program. And I think we started, I started listening to that a little bit, but my friends, I worked at a record store when I was 18 years old. And this is where I met my, one of my good friends, Alex and Arnold. Um, they would come into the record store and they were, we'd talk and I just would talk music and I knew about rap and I knew about alternative music cause I'm from Seattle. <laughs> right. But, uh, but, you know, electronic music, you had this very, very small section of it, but do you, were, uh, do you remember the band Enigma? Of course. Okay, Enigma. That kind of down-tempo, ambient, back-end stuff was always awesome. I also loved the D-Light, you know, what she was doing with, you know. Um, oh, Faithless, probably. Well, I'm trying to think what – I know the second album was Dewdrops in the Garden. World Click. World Click was the that album that came out. I love that song. I loved what that was about. That kind of, you could say, got me into a little bit more rave culture a little bit, uh, in the sense, just in my mindset of – thinking different different kind of music but my friends alex and arnold they said hey we're gonna go to this nightclub in the industry called the underground i'm like okay i didn't know what to expect i knew top 40 i knew i knew the, the disco music that would play in the clubs that we'd go to but never listened never went to an electronic only dance musical let alone an underground dance music like an underground you know type music club this is where i first saw donald glaude playing he's like one of our local hometown heroes a great guy i've known him for years been on the show a few times and this is the first time i saw a group of people that there were no how do you put it there were no genres there were no clicks there was it was right next door to university of washington so you had a bunch of college kids and it was going crazy i mean it was crazy like i, I won't even explain how crazy it was because it was crazy but donald glott is sitting there and I, I won't swear on your show but the first time I ever saw a DJ, he's rocking it out. And then he flips the switch and he goes, make some effing noise, people. And the crowd just loses their mind. Mind, yeah. And I'm I'm like, this is really cool. And I didn't know how to dance to electronic music. I didn't know. My body just started moving and going with it. 
and then that was at this time when raves started coming out and about in Seattle. You had the Candy Kids and the Raves, uh, New York influence sort of moving across country. And they opened up a big warehouse here called NAF Studios. That was my first experience of going to like a 2,000, 3,000 person event with electronic music and lasers and all that stuff all over the place. And then it became the, the thing to do that every Friday night we'd go to the underground and then we we kick it to go to a, a rave or we go out Saturday night and go to the underground and then we go to the to the rave. That became our weekend things. But back home, I had a Cadillac with two 15s in the back. I'm bumping, you know, NWA and, and too short and the Cadillac. So I had kind of two separate lives going on. And, said, um, and, and I, when I took some of my hip hop friends to the clubs, they, they didn't get it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's kind of where it started. You have to kind of love the music, I guess. Mm-hmm. So the whole rave culture. I guess what's cool to hear about that is that Seattle's always kind of embraced whatever culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, people know Seattle for grunge and alternative, and but I I've also heard that you know the underground has is just I've heard that name a lot of that venue. So it, it's traveled throughout the culture over the years mm-hmm. and, and created such a kind of like an icon in itself. You also mentioned, you know, I, when I, I grew up here in Arizona and I remember hearing nineties dance music when I was really young and we did have a radio station here. So that kind of can to kind of tie it back to what you, you mentioned, we, we it was a, uh, we had 101.1, The Beat. It had this really famous DJ named Pistol Pete. He's since passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of what I grew up listening to until that radio station went away because that was during that, I think there was that act where they got rid of a lot of dance music radio stations. Hmm. So you mentioned that you you still have one in Seattle, correct? Yeah, it's C89. Um, you know, It's been very hard for them to stay... From what I understand, I mean, C89 is there because it's part of the high school program. It's in their curriculum, gets funding. They do pledge drives. It's all up and running and all that. So it's not like it's an independently owned station and they have to find commercial dollars, you know, to keep it going or underwriting to keep it going. And radio stations are pretty expensive to run. I mean, even even the advent of public access kind of went on the wayside because, you know, YouTube came out. And, you know, finding people to come in the studio and find funding for things like that or, or Internet radio came out and people could stream live. And, you know, those new mediums that were not necessarily embraced by those by those, you know, if you were in radio, you were in radio, right. you know, it's like video literally killed the radio star. So the Internet yeah. kind of killed the, in, in the television star. You can go and become TikTok famous now, you know, yeah. and, 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 and have a live stream going on Twitch and be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. Um, you can start up your OnlyFans if you want to start up OnlyFans, if you want to go down that route. And yeah. you can start Pinterest and, and different things and, and Etsy's and all those different things, which were really locked off when you were in a newspaper, radio, broadcast television, or even public right. access mindset. There was limited, limited distribution and limited market. Um, at one point, we actually had 12 of our television shows approved to air on 14 stations on the net, on the West Coast. You wow. know, it was like totally un, like unheard of. 12 separate television shows approved. It, and then we were going out to get funding. And this is right in the age of YouTube coming out, you know, and, and we're like, gosh, we got to raise millions and millions and millions of dollars for this concept. And why don't we just throw it online and see what happens there? 
Next thing you know, we're doing 300,000 downloads a week through iTunes, through the Apple Store, because we were featured as one of the top video podcasts in the top 50 podcasts and went from number 48 to number 23. So we're like, okay, how do we monetize this now? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just been a crazy ride. But um, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's been awesome. It's been an awesome ride. And so, so I guess my question is because we, we we talk about platforms and and Twitch. I mean, you were already on Twitch. Uh, it's been around for a while, but the pandemic really blew up <laughs> Twitch in the last three years, specifically in the music side, but specifically in DJ. And so I kind of want to get into how, despite it being the pandemic, it's kind of really kind of broadened the horizons of maybe lesser known DJs or community <coughs> DJs. Cause I know I, I, you know, I was going through the DJ sessions.com and I, I re recognize avian invasion and <laughs> how he's blown up. And I didn't even really know him before the pandemic, but I found him during the pandemic because I was on Twitch and I had nothing other to do. So talk about like what it's done for the, the DJs and your community in Seattle. Cause I know he's home there and a few others. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it was, we were gearing up in 2020 to, to really just blast it out of the box, our events, promo, everything. And what we thought was going to be a, flatten the curve in two weeks and it'll be okay. And we're talking with our sponsors. I mean, we had some really nice sponsors on board that we're going to just bankroll us. We're talking mid six figure type deals and they wow. just went poof. And when I saw everyone jump online, what happened is you saw what ha was happening on Facebook and YouTube. People were getting flagged for copyright violations. I, my phone rang probably for my, I probably fielded 150 different conversations with people on how to live stream, pick it up. Cause I was the guy that had been doing it for 10 years. And so I was like, what do I, what cameras do I get? Where do I get this? How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do that? I'm like, okay, 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 okay. So I actually took a complete step back, but what I saw, how I would characterize this is that you saw this with podcasting when podcasting really boomed and, 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 um, the video iPod came out. That was kind of a huge thing because a lot of it was audio before that. But you saw a trend and the trend would go, you know, it'd ramp up like this, slowly curve, curve, and more people would come, people would drop off, but it would become kind of, um, it wouldn't become oversaturated overnight. Yes, people jumped on. Yes, I'm going to do it. But there'd be a general curve. When pandemic hit, there was no curve to live streaming and podcasting. It kind of went straight up. Yeah, and, over. and wherever you were at with your socials, you kind of remained there. Now, some broke through and some got, but where you would normally have a normal progression of people were doing it over and over and over again, they could build a following. But when you had everyone saying, look at me at the same time, and this was an, when I say everyone, anyone who's anyone have ever thought about doing anything, trying to say, look at me, look at me. So soon yeah. socials became full of Threads going, I'm going live, 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 I'm going live. Hey, yeah. check me out, check me out. And you can only consume so much. When and you got this yeah. hope, and people in the beginning, their mindsets weren't tuned into, you know, they go to work, they come home, they might have time to do some social media consumption. They might be able to do something during the day, but then they go to bed. But when the whole country or the whole world got shifted off and everyone's at home 
and it's all online. What do I do now? How do I listen to my favorite DJs? How do I listen to my favorite bands? How do I, you know, those that were already in tune with listening to podcasts, their consumption became great too. So what I had said, and this was early on, is there was a 60 to 80% increase in content creation. There was also a 60 to 80% increase in content consumption. People that never, I put it like this, pre-2020, pre I'd go out and say, oh, we're a live streaming DJ show and we're featured partnered on Twitch. People would say, one, why would I want to watch a DJ live streaming on my computer when I'd go to a club? Two, what's Twitch? Yeah. And I'd have to say, oh, well, you know how that company named, um, you know, that, that thing called YouTube is owned by Google? They go, oh, yeah. I go, well, Amazon owns Twitch. And they go, oh, it's, so it's a big deal thing. And yeah, but we're a live streaming show. That's the big deal thing. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> difference. Yeah. So there was obviously money and funding back in them. So everyone kind of played the role and jumped on board. And I kind of came up with a saying that, you know, if you're serious about this, really serious about this, and I would say in average, if you're going to produce an episode once a week, say you're producing an episode once a week, when you hit 100 episodes, then I know you're kind of serious. You know, or just 100 episodes in general, because the time and diligence that it takes to keep doing that with everything else that's going on, work, life balance, sleep balance, eating, having fun, traveling, whatever you want to do, and, and, and staying up with that, that's kind of the thing. So a lot of people I also knew once life got back to normal mm-hmm. and people started going out again, you saw the live streams drop. Oh, yeah. You know, is the podcasting still going on? Are people still doing it? Are they so, I want to go out, are they distracted with now life is happening again and that i hear a lot of people oh well i only did that because the nightclubs were closed or i only did that because this was closed so you mean you really weren't ever in it right you know and and the real truth is when you look at the numbers that people were getting you know and it takes time to build a following time to build numbers that when you realize oh i'm going out there and i only have 10 people watching me or they didn't realize that maybe there's a reason why there's 10, only 10 people watching me because there's 50 other million streams going on and there's all the A-list celebrities that I'm going up against because I thought I want to air my show on Friday nights at 10 o'clock because that's when people are going to be going to the club and that's when they're – they didn't do any analysis on what was going on. I mean some of our greatest nights were going on on Tuesday nights at, mm-hmm. at, at, at 6, 7 o'clock in the evening because nobody else was going on at Tuesday nights. You know, or the competition you were up against. Whereas, you know, you got Dom Diablo or Insomniac and doing their big shows, and you can only watch one show at a time. Unless you lurk, you can open up multiple browsers, but you can only listen to one show at one time. Right. If everyone chooses to go on at 10 o'clock at night when everyone else is going on at 10 o'clock at night, You're not going to get you, 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 you will disenfranchise yourself in this, in this, in this. And I've, I've seen that happen to a lot of people before. So again, the uptick, the, the, um, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, kind of the fatigue, the content fatigue, because that's all we did for like two and a half years. Well, most of us. <laughs> and then I also said, here's, what's going to happen when things open up, there's going to be a PTSD of people not wanting to watch online content. Yeah. They're going to be like, I don't want to be in front of a computer anymore. I was in, I was at home for work. I was watching everything from a computer or, or through my TV set if they could do that for eight hours a day because I couldn't go out and do anything else. I want to go outside. I'm, you know, and where's that PTSD going to come off of that? It says, nope, 
I'm going out to clubs and watch. And so you might have had people that were ardent followers online that have completely just dropped and walked away. And they might still stay in, in touch or come back every so often, but there's still so many other things going on. So it's been very interesting watching that uptick. Congrats for us because we've been doing this stuff, you know, before this. We get it. We're still here, um, you know, and I, I commend anyone that's ever decided to pick up a camera and get in front of a computer and record their voice or talk about a subject they're interested in. I encourage that. I encourage – I wish everyone – could do a podcast because I, th I think everyone has something interesting to talk about. Everyone has a passion and you're going to be able to find people that also have that kind of passion. You know, I did, do recommend people look into some technology and make sure they get a good microphone. They get a good light ring. They get a good enough computer. They get good enough internet. Maybe they take some acting classes or some coaching classes and voice classes. Um, those kind of things. Um, all types of little pointers uh, that you know I've given people over the years to just, just enhance their podcast just just a little bit more than the next person, and uh, you know I, I think we're going to still see a lot of people doing this, um, but I think we're going to see a lot of people stop doing it too. Right. What I've noticed in all of the Twitch watching, I mean, I still watch a lot of Twitch channels because I I've had. You know, it's it's been a networking tool too, mm -hmm. um, of like, oh, we're chatting on, you know, and then, you know, it's it's led to other guests on my podcast, like Lizzie Carius, Doc Brown, and stuff, and the, you know, the the Groove Cruise family that I I have from going on the Groove Cruise. But what I think is great is the ones that didn't fall off now that we're normal, back to normal, whatever that means. The ones that are consistently doing it, because I have seen. I don't know if you know, follow Abco, Abco Music on Twitch, but hmm. she's a, she, the pandemic, she was an engineer pre-pandemic, then got laid off because of the, the pandemic, but always wanted to be in house music as a DJ and a producer. And she's been blowing up with releasing tracks, um, her Twitch following, and now she's booked a couple gigs with Insomniac because of putting out content and it, creating a following on Twitch in the last few years. Um, she's always, that's always been her dream and she's pursuing it. And then that's what I, it's interesting to those that maybe just started at like, Oh, this is what I'm, I'm bored during the pandemic to, Well, are you serious? Are you really passionate about this? Or have you talked to people such as yourself to be like, well, if I'm in Seattle or, or we don't even need to be because of the internet, but the idea of, reaching out to people that do know kind of the struggle of getting content out there in a sea of content. Um, so that's just one example. A Abby's awesome. She's been on the podcast as well and talked about how it, like she didn't think anything would happen and there she is. So what do you think? I know, as you mentioned, all the content you're producing, I know you have a couple, you had DJ sessions, which you also have another company in all of your years since starting from like 2004, 2003 in podcasting and seeing the boom for over a decade now, consistency has been, you know, you got to consistently put out content. But for those that are like straightly thinking of pushing the numbers that you've mentioned and, and kind of going straight to monetization, what do you say to those people that kind of focus on monetization without putting out the quality content first? Um, they're probably going to get really disenfranchised and quit. 
I mean, uh, the unless you have money or networking, like you're coming in and you're already a networker, like you already have a, a good LinkedIn profile, you're really great in your socials, you know how to talk to people, you know what your subject matter is, going out there and, and, and those kind of people are going to go, hey, what do I need to do to make my podcast? You go back and look at some of Joe Rogan's podcasts or look at Gary Vee's early podcasts. You know what they look like. Look at some hard, yeah. You know, I mean, good old days. I still, I still sit back and I'm like, you know, could I, could I get a better green screen behind me? Yes. Do I really care? No. I mean, I know where my condition, I know where my viewership, I I know and things that, but I'm probably going to be getting a green screen in a new studio and all that fun stuff soon. Um, But you know, you go out there wanting to monetize, and this comes from my early days of broadcast television. You need numbers. And if you don't have numbers and you don't have a phone, you get the best idea in the world. But you're probably going to end up bankrolling this yourself for a little bit. Um, you know, and, and that depends on if you're if you're coming out of a good paying job and you had some stock options, you can float for a little bit and turn this into a, a business and, and monetize it. That's great. Um, but it's very far and few between that. I mean, I, I could release these soft numbers now do not hold these exact numbers to me because i'm under nda with twitch but the average twitch streamer has to have in order to make a living with twitch is four thousand to six thousand people every time they go live minimum three to four hours minimum three to four times a week yeah you know i mean that's that's to make a living and that's probably you're probably be at your 100 150k maybe around there and you have to have subscribers so your content has to be good. And, and 99% of those people are playing video games and they're yeah, really they're good the at video games. They're at gaming. Yeah. That's a whole different realm than this music side of things because you got to look at some of the things that might be coming down the pipeline, which we can get into in a little bit, but copyright. I can do a live streaming show that's great, but I can't, unless I have the rights to that music, where does that episode live after I'm done? Unless I have the rights to that music. And that's a whole new ball. I've been trying to educate people for the last two years on this. And wonder, they wondered why we took such a step back in early 2020 or uh, Q2 2020. Because we were making sure all of our licensing, everything was in order. I did not want to be slapped with a multi-million dollar lawsuit um, from Universal or Sony. And the stuff that I've been trying to tell people about over the last few years, they're not paying attention to. And... I call it the third great whaling. The, 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 the first great whaling is like, oh, I've gone live and they're shutting me down. The second great whaling is I'm streaming live now and they're shutting me down. The third great whaling is coming is coming down the pipeline and a lot of people are going to be upset. There will be a shift. A lot of people will move over to Mixcloud, um, which will be the pretty much the, the bastion platform they'll be able to go to. We can get into that on why in a moment. But um, you know, when you come to music, we've even been very careful on what we – monetize because we don't want something coming back and slapping us. You know, we don't have to have to get into a huge legal battle. And and a lot of people are not thinking about that. They're just, I'm going to stream, I'm going to do it. And they don't, they don't want to understand the business aspects of how this works. Uh, If you own your own podcast, just go get your own jingles and pay for somebody to make them. Don't use guns and roses. Don't use, don't use NWA. Don't use, don't use Puff Dad. Don't use somebody else's music. Please don't use somebody else's music. Unless you have permission. Yeah. Yeah. You'll put all that work in and then you get a cease and desist. And then you're like, oh, damn. And then you even get scared because, like, what do I do now? Just or get permission. 
but usually use original music, pay for somebody to get your music, all that fun stuff. But when you get into the world of DJ music and you start to get attention and you start to see different legal avenues and you're like, okay, if you're a band and you're doing your own thing, Hey, that's great. You usually own your own content. If you're a producer uh, and you're doing your own thing, great. And you're playing your own music. Okay, great. But how many DJs produce enough music to have a library to produce a weekly show of their own music. Very far and few between. That very, or very they're between. sick of their own music because they've, you know, exactly and listened so, to it a million times. So they're not going to want to play or they're working on a new EP and they, you know, they can't release it yet or whatever yeah. it may be. So, so we, we've that. kind of at the stance of where we've got to, it's not like I'm trying to toot a horn. We know when we push our button, what we can activate. But we also have to look for the five-year, 10-year, 20-year version down the line of what where our brand is going to go, what we can do with it. And you know, some podcasters, some people are in the now with what they're doing. It's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because this is awesome. And they're not thinking down the road. Do, like simple thing, do I have a website? Do I have a server? Where what happens if my what happens if all of a sudden my account goes belly up on Twitch and they give me three strikes, I'm out. What do I do then? Because everything's living there, you know? So, you know, those, this, the, that's the third great whaling that we're looking at coming down the line here pretty soon of accounts getting those three strikes, you're out. And they go, I just built up all these followers and now they're gone. Ugh. And how many people quit the game? Or when that little two word, two word phrase, active monitoring comes out. Um, which they've already been beta testing and trying. And if you're following yeah. what's going on in the EU, um, people are not in people. You say the word safe Harbor to people and they, they what, what's that? Right. You, you talk DMCA all you want. And they're like, I don't understand that. And that's why I'm like, okay, we're taking a break here. We're, we're focusing on this over here. Focus. I, there's always a bunch of irons in the fire with the DJ sessions. So we've taken a break from live stream with some, dust settles and gets done, but we're still constantly putting out content and uh, we get guest mixes and interviews coming up all the time. Plus new divisions of the company events. We're throwing nightclub partnerships, celebrity meet and greet tons of stuff coming out. That's like most podcasters. They're just doing their show. Right. Um, and they're not focused on growing an international brand uh, in that sense. So, but I, I, I hope everyone gets that level. I want to see everyone get to that level. I, love to have everyone get to that level um so i hope that kind of answers your question there you know right well i mean to kind of go back a little bit for mm. those that don't know dmca <laughs> basically saying you, you get a strike by either like a, a producer artist or the music <clears throat> publisher because you've been using or their their music without permission or in the case of twitch you're a DJ and you leave your stream up afterwards in what they call the VODs as like a replay. And that's a no, no. So that just kind of put it in those kind of terms. A lot of people need to kind of read the, the terms, especially there's levels in Twitch that is a whole Twitch is a whole thing, but there's levels to which you have to earn in order to be able to earn money on the platform. Um, but you also have to abide by their rules. So the craziest thing is that most people do not read the terms and conditions, do not read the community guidelines of Twitch. They don't read the, they don't read terms and conditions at all. They just, I can do this and let me go. Twitch has three specific rules under the music guidelines section. One, 
no radio style shows specifically says this yeah two no dj sets three no karaoke style shows which is basically everything you see <laughs> so that being said and they also said if you're playing if you're playing music or you're doing something make sure you have the rights to it right what was really cool talking about the video game side of things and not the music side of things is that cyberpunk 2027 came out i hope i said that i hope that's the title i think it's 2027 came out and they made it was the first video game i'd ever heard of where you can turn you there's an option where you can turn the copywritten music that they didn't have license off so you could play it and stream on twitch and keep your videos on twitch without getting a ding without getting a flag or a red get the red bar on your show and i thought that was a really cool option and you know, you look at some of these older video games. Let's say I'm playing Super Mario Brothers. Unless Nintendo gave the right to let me play the Super Mario Brothers music in the background, that's not supposed to be played on Twitch. Now, right. is, is Nintendo going to come back and do a DMCA takedown? Probably not, because it's a commercial for them. If somebody's kicking ass playing their game and it gets all the hits, and be like, "Oh, Super Mario Brothers still exists," and yeah. you know, whatever. But a lot of these video games are using music and they might be cleared to use it in the video game, but it might not be cleared for streaming. Take Grand Theft Auto for crying out loud. You play the radio stations in there. None of that means it's cleared for video on demand. And we don't, unless you want to spend and do another episode with me for about four hours, we won't even talk about what goes into video on demand licensing. It's almost basically near impossible to get video on demand licensing. The way it would be. If you're doing one episode for one hour, one time, and that's the only one it's ever going to be, yeah, it's pretty easy. Or if you're making a movie, that's pretty easy. But when you're a DJ, the clearance of what you'd have to do alone for every show, let's just say you have to have clearance before you do your show. Yeah. And if you're playing 12 to 14 songs in an hour, you have to send out letters, get permission. Like I said, this goes down a huge rabbit hole, and it's not going to change anytime soon. There's not going to be any, and there's no, oh, why doesn't Amazon just pay for it? They make all the money or Facebook pay for it or YouTube pay for it. Google pay for it. They, that's not even how it works. It's not about paying. It's about even just getting the permission. Right. And sometimes you might send a letter off and you, let's say I make a set. I know I want to use that song. I get 12 of the 13 of the 14 songs cleared. Somebody doesn't give me that right. That, that, I can't use that set. So you have to have a clear beforehand and they're going to want to know how long is it going to be for? Is it in perpetuity? Is it just one time? Is it going to play? Is there how many views you expect to get all this? And all those people are asking questions on every single song. (laughs) It's insane. And with what just happened in the EU where they removed the safe Harbor protection for companies, the companies are now held liable. The the moment a video goes online. Okay. It, they used to get a safe harbor if, if the if the publishing company said take it down and they go okay we take it down you can't sue us well now that safe harbor is gone if i upload a video and i'm in the eu territory and it lives there the publishing company can immediately start suing the the video on demand company that's hosting that video immediately no safe harbor gone law passed in 2019 they just started enacting it in 2021 right into the books and it is going to be a game changer so anyone that has video on demand content on their sites, you've already seen YouTube, active monitoring. Hey, we yeah. noticed you're using copywritten material. Shut your stream down. No recording. Facebook, we're active monitoring. Twitch has only simply said we're looking at things. 
for active monitoring. They've said it in a few emails that go out, but, um, but they're doing it. They're, they're testing it. And music makes up such a small portion of their site. The music section, like you'll see League of Legends, there'll be 250,000 people on that, in that platform. You go to music and there's 25,000 people. Yeah. So they don't mind music on their platform. They don't mind original artists on the platform. What they do mind is copywritten music on that platform. And the trick is because they have the opportunity to instantly store a video on demand, even though it's scanned, are they going to start saying, Hey, you're doing this. You're doing this. Or are they going to start having people knock on their doors and saying, you know, Hey, you have D you said no DJ sets. You're letting DJs do DJ sets. Is that windfall going to happen? That's what I call the third great whaling. Bless you. Yeah, thank you. The third great whaling of the DJ community where we will probably see a mass migration of people going from Twitch over to Mixcloud because Mixcloud does no video on demand. It's just straight audio. It's just straight audio when they rip it off and they got all the licenses for that. The payouts are done. I love the guys over at Mixcloud. Interviewed Nico, the CEO, uh, about a year, a year and a half ago. And uh, it was funny how he found me. But um, I, I kind of got into the rabbit hole, the whole copyright thing. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, but I, I think it's it still needs to be explained. Yeah. Because... I, you know, I spend time on Twitch and even, you know, channels and DJs that are established, especially since they blew up during the pandemic, there'll be people in the chat room on Twitch asking, well, how do I get into this? How do I do this? And you'll hear even ones that haven't been shut down kind of give information that I'm worried that they're like, oh, just do it, just do it. And instead of saying, you know, that's great to be encouraging about DJing and, and performing, there's more that goes into it than just getting the equipment to just do it because you want to be able to sustain that and not be shut down. So I'm not discouraging anybody from doing it. I just, I know there's just such a gray area with all of this still in 2022 of music copyright that it was hard to kind of just say, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to pick up a camera like you think a lot of people did. So I wouldn't say gray area. I'd say lack of education towards that, it. Yeah. Uh, people not – it's kind of like uncovering that truth of saying, I really want to go do something, but guess what? I really can't do that or I'm going to break the rules. Like I, I would tell people out there, I got totally eaten up for a post in 2020. People were laughing at me and thought I was a – like just coming at me. I said – Hey, everyone, just want to let you know, you all are criminals. If you're live streaming, you are all criminals. You are all breaking the law. Guess what? I'm a criminal too. I get it. I've been doing this for so long and I will admit I'm one, I'm not, it was kind of a joke post. It was totally like trying to make a joke that, Hey, you all are wondering why you're getting shut down. Did any of you go study the law or talk to a copyright attorney or talk to anyone of why you can't or why you shouldn't be doing this? Why? Facebook, why they have this in place and why they read the, why the terms and conditions say don't do this. You're crying to the wrong people. You need to be crying to your, you need to be crying to the music industry or you need to be talking to your senators, the people that make these laws and trying to get the laws changed and then finding out that that's damn near impossible too. So, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we're just going to go out and break the rules until I guarantee you the rule breaking of what's happening is only strengthening the position for tougher copyright laws. So they don't actually. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since like, 
more of the like music legends i say are selling their catalogs to the publishers right now recently i don't yeah. know if people have been seeing that i mean springsteen just did it and a bunch because they're getting older and their years of touring are going down so they said hey i'll take a 500 million dollar payout of my catalog <laughs> by doing that it's like it's not helping the case of the little guy anymore because well you know they have the they have the bankroll to buy Springsteen's catalog or Neil Diamond's or whoever it is. So, and what people also don't understand when you look at companies like Insomniac, you know, they have a library of internal songs. As an artist, for me, I want to say, hey, guess what? I want to license my song to Insomniac. I don't care. I don't want any money from it. Just it's in your library. That way, DJs can pick that up and can play that. And then yeah. Insomniac has the right to put that in video on demand because they get the rights to do all that with any shows or anything they do. So they know all their music is already cleared because it's coming in cleared. And they say, oh, you want to play this? You have to choose from our internal library of, if we have an internal library of 500,000 or a million songs, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Let me just choose those. Let me choose those. You know, or they can set the set list before and they go, okay, cool. We know these are cleared. Or right. some people just don't say anything. Um, you know, it, it's going to be funny when, when do these when do some of these producers that are making tracks start knocking on the door and saying, Hey, I just saw you make them hundred thousand dollars off that live stream? I didn't get a cut for that. Right. I didn't authorize that. I you know, is anyone gonna come back and do that? Or are they gonna say, Hey, thanks for the play, bro. I, I appreciate that, you know, and I, I guess I it just depends on the producer. Producer, yeah. And it may not even be the producer, it may be the rights management company that owns yeah. the rights to track, and they go, Man, so and so suing me. It's like I'm not suing you, man. My the label is. I don't right. even own that track anymore, man. Like, don't blame me. You know, I think a lot of the higher up people that understand the music publishing business really get that side of things. They understand video on demand. They understand master use. They understand sync rights. You know, they know that. But the common DJ says, "I'm just going to put a camera up and start live streaming DJ," and then goes, "Boo hoo hoo! Why am I getting shut down?" You know, I bought the song on iTunes for 99 cents. I bought the song on Beatport for this, but it didn't give you master use and light and 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 and, and, yeah. and think rights. You know, know know your terms. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Um, yeah, because I, I do watch a few DJs on Twitch that they they kind of preach that like, well, I spent a few hundred dollars this week on new tracks. Great, but that's not. That you're supporting the artist. I, I'm all for that. But still, that's I don't think that's, like you just mentioned, that's not the whole picture. Because record labels and whoever has, you know, terms and conditions, even to get it on Beatport or wherever you buy your music. And I know majority of people's libraries probably aren't even, they didn't buy it. It's probably from back in 2000 when Napster was a thing. And they've kept the MP3 all these years. Um so, I mean, there's just more to it, is I guess what we're saying, that we could go down this for hours. But I did want to ask you, um, because of all the different content that you guys do, which really cool, I got I started researching your VR and, and the, like, the, like, truck that goes around Seattle. <laughs> like, that looks amazing. Can you, can you kind of talk about that? What kind of switch well, gear is that? Do you, do you want to go to VR or do you want to go to the truck? Let's go VR because, you know, everybody's kind of worried about VR and everything. So. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll sum it up pretty quickly like this. We got into live streaming when 
you know, people didn't think live streaming was a medium. They didn't get it. I was on this new technology, this new path. I always like being a new innovator of technology. I look at I look at virtual reality, even augmented reality, but that we're not we're not gonna go into that conversation yet. Let's yeah. think on virtual reality. <laughs> virtual reality to me is like I say this now. If you're not messing around in virtual reality or looking at it as a serious medium, you're already done in the game. Like I, I'm not trying to be pretending I'm like, get get out. Get out. It's like it's like it's like saying coming to somebody back in 1997 and saying one business says I'm going to get a website and the other business of the same nature says I don't need a website everyone right. comes into my shop and this business all of a sudden they start doing you know 10 times the amount of business online than both of them are doing in their shops and they go, I'm strictly going to an online platform. And now I've got rid of all this overhead while this brick and mortar is going out of business and nobody's coming in shopping anymore. And nobody knows right. who they are because we don't need a website. Everyone right. comes in. That's what VR is going to be. You've got you to get something established somewhere in VR. Um, pick a platform. Choose it. I would say this. If you were going to live streaming, choose a platform. Choose where you're going to go. If you're going to choose a social media platform, choose one and dive into that social media platform, but find something. So in VR, we started with Altspace first. We have two nightclubs in virtual reality in Altspace. We'll be expanding to more worlds here, uh, more environments here uh, in the next few months. But um, we chose Altspace because ease of entry, um, the creativity that you're allowed within Altspace, I kind of give you a, what what I was reading up on a lot of this over the last year because I got my first Oculus last about a year ago, and um, was thinking, oh wow, it'd be so cool to have a nightclub in VR. The test is this: if you can, I think it's called the Squirrel, the Squirrel test. I think it's the Squirrel test. If you can make your avatar look like a squirrel, it tells you what range of creativity you will have in those environments. So you take something like horizons you're kind of stuck with their characters and stuck with their building blocks you take something like rec room you're stuck with your character you're stuck with their building blocks you take something like alt space you're kind of stuck with their avatar but you can use your own building blocks you go into something like vr chat you can make your avatar look like whatever you want and you can use whatever building blocks you want so the range of creativity will determine and and it does get more complex as you go through these but we chose alt space um it's backed by microsoft it was it was great platform there's a it's a lot of room to grow in there and we created two nightclubs one called entry and one called beta and entry is our smaller nightclub um think of it like it's your entry point you're going to come into the smaller nightclub but then that can get you into the beta nightclub which is our multi-room Huge nightclub, which I was just giving somebody one of our new DJs a tour today of it, and it always sends me shivers. I'm like, this is so cool. Yeah. Uh, we called it beta because we haven't even launched version one yet of what we want. And I could show some. I give people tours all the time when I go in and show them our nightclubs, and I said, "You want to see some really cool stuff? <laughs> Check right. this out." And we have version one, version two, and version three rollouts. I mean, we're we're literally on a 15 year plan rollout with VR. And we're just starting out with beta right now. Probably 2023, we'll, we'll launch version one. I'm actually talking with a new dev team about launching, stepping into version two before we even launch version one. 
because we want to actually have an, an app, our own nightclub app. Um, right now you are limited to how many people can be in a certain instance of virtual reality. So we can have like 50 people in one room, let's say the moment the 51st person comes in, it creates a whole nother instance of that room. And this is just because that's what they see. I know that that'll probably grow over time, but once we get our own app, we could put 5,000 people, 50,000 people in the same room in our app. Yeah. And that's, that's the next bastion. And if people, you don't have to dev for it. You don't got to spend a bunch of money. Just go get a $300 headset. Okay. Get an Oculus two right now. Don't wait for the new one to come out. I'm not sponsored by Facebook or meta to say this by any means, but um, the barrier to entry is so low. And I was saying this in the beginning of 2020 when I didn't even know what the price point of the Oculus one was and I was talking about VR and said, uh, you know, when it drops down to the price of like the Nintendo or the Atari and it makes it so every kid can get it for Christmas, you know, like maybe two, $300 price point range. That's where we're going to start seeing it kick in. And it was out a month later, they released month and a half later, they released the Oculus two. And I was like a $300 price point and I can get in the VR. It's better than a $5,000 price point of a $1,500 headset and a $3,500 gaming computer to run it. I can't see mom and dad just running out and buying a bunch of those for kids, you know, especially if the kid got tired of it and just sits there and collects dust. I can see, and this is what we prep for, is the Oculus market, the meta market. Um, and they're probably going to rebrand the name of that. Um, I think they may have already done that, but um, that's going to be the early adapter market. And there are a lot of early adapters in VR but it by no means has hit a plateau yet or the ramp up of what we've seen. And had things kept going the way they were with lockdowns and all that, we might've seen more of a ramp up into VR. Um, but I think VR is going to get a true, true curve to it. Not a, everyone jumps on board and everyone's in, you know, um, maybe this Christmas, maybe after things have financially set back and, you know, and, and people have a little bit of money and, and the kids are going to start. I'm starting to see the ads. They're running ads in the NBA games all the time. Yeah, I noticed now, that. You know, yeah. so, you know, what are we going to see? Meta's put is put in a huge uh, push on it. Um, you know that Apple's going to come out with something. Google's coming out with something. Sony's coming out with something. Microsoft's going to come out with something. They're all going to push something. Um, and then that's going to also lead into what's called AR or augmented reality, which is what we're also looking at, we're, we're in talks on developing stuff for our physical events because we do what are called silent concerts most people know them as what's called silent disco because, yeah we kind of took it up one notch and we're doing silent concerts and going to be launching into silent festivals which we will be bringing down to phoenix arizona here shortly by the way um Ooh. we're the only ones in the world right now that i know of that have seven channel headsets so we can have seven djs playing at the same time most people have three channel headsets and um I was just on the phone today with my guy about um, which I'll segue into your next question about the mobile sessions in just yeah. a moment um, of bringing silent concerts down to Phoenix and throwing, throwing those events and having anywhere upwards from a thousand to 2000 people, silent concert events with multiple stages going on with headliner acts and everything that we're tied in with down there. Um, like I said, before the interview, I'm going to be down in Phoenix a lot. <laughs> You're going to, we're going to be hanging out a lot down there. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the reason I, I brought it up is because like I mentioned the Groove Cruise and I talked about, I've talked at nauseam probably on this podcast about it because it's, it's an epic event, but they, they they run a silent disco 
on the Groove Cruise. That's one of the events where you can go to one of the venues, put on the headsets. We have some of the resident DJs play. <clears throat> but the thing, and and not just the Groove Cruise. I, from what I understand, if you go on a regular cruise, silent discos are a thing. They might not be playing electronic dance music. They might be playing like Bon Jovi and another channel might be playing, I don't know, Boys to Men. I don't know. The point I'm getting at is that it's a thing, but I wanted to kind of bring it back to to kind of, in my mind, VR, what you're going to be doing with VR, plus what you've already kind of done with like your silent concerts and, and all of that is kind of, if you think about it, it seems like it was always kind of going to, go this way if that was a thing where you could use some sort of device to kind of put you in a different world. We, we were the first ones that I've seen. Um, I, um, you can quote me on this, but I haven't seen anyone else do this yet of build what's called the round trip, the round trip experience using silent concert technology. People will go do a silent disco event. That's great. People will do live streaming. We've merged the two technologies together where you could be at one of our silent concerts. You're on the red channel. We're streaming that red channel over the internet. Obviously over the internet, but we're streaming that channel live. Now we also have a green channel and a blue channel. You're at the event and you tell all your friends on social media, hey, I'm listening to the red channel at this event that I'm at right now. Come and join with me. Your friends jump in through their mobile device or computer. They're in there with you. They're in the chat room. Talk with you in the red, red channel chat room. Let's say one of your friends says, wait a second. I want to see what's on the green channel. They pop over to the green channel. Now they're listening to the green channel at the same event that you're at. They come back to you and say, hey, you got to check out this green channel. It's fire right now. You're at the event and you go click. And now you're on the green channel and you're having an experience with people from all over the world, including your friends who may not be able to attend the event. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean – it's going to cut down on FOMO, as I like to put it. But also, when I went to Winter Music Conference in 2019, there was a demonstration for VR then, and we were talking about, wouldn't it be cool that you didn't have to, like, because you're always thinking, like, you want to go to specific events, especially in electronic dance music. You're like, you want to go to Tomorrowland, you want to go to EDC, you want to go to Ultra, you want to go to this and that festival, but it's usually not feasible. And I think... Streaming on Twitch during the pandemic came to people being like, oh, this is how I, you know. But then we lost out on the the human interaction a little bit. Like screen to screen is great for a while. Even introverts were like, I need to see people. So I think the kind of melding the two is kind of awesome what you're doing. So And and the, the trick will be is who's going to make that multi-room nightclub <laughs> that multi-room nightclub so you can go to the red room the blue room and have those seven different channels and be you know listening to the red room with the red channel people and the green room with the green channel people and the blue room with the blue channel and orange room and having that experience we're working on that there's it, this goes into the real diving into tech stuff of, of of you know what what you can do in alt space you might what you might be able to do in vr chat which is another platform you might not be able to do in alt space so yeah. we want to make sure the experience is the same in all places until we get our app. Once we get our app, we can kind of do whatever the hell we want inside there. And then you can do like spatial audio. So the sound only plays in this area. When you walk away, it's going to cut off. So when you go into the next area, 
uh, it's going to start up with new sound and new sound. And so you'll be able to have those multi rooms or you can have a whole high rise building of 10 stories high and each floor is its own nightclub with That's different awesome. things in between each floor, like games and fun stuff in between each floor. And here's the beanbag lounge and here's the hula hoop lounge. And here's the, you know, laser thing lounge. And it's there. It just takes resources to build all this. Um, and I'll tell you, my devs are not cheap, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I looked at it with my friend, you know, when I first started this and who I started VR with and he said, Darren, first of all, just go get the headset. It'll be the best $300 you'll ever spend. And then when I told him about what my dev costs were, he's like, Darren, just spend the money. Cause when you think about it, if you, if you're building it, you're going to have it, but Let's just say um, this is not what I've spent because I've spent a lot more of this. But let's say I spent $2,000, $2,400 developing something. And you look over the course of three years, I'm going to keep that build. That's $800 a year or roughly about, what, $65 a month, you know, or right. $65 a month. Or what does that break down to? Like, like, come on, Darren, do your math here. F 15 bucks a week. You know, I can go eat at McDonald's downstairs in my house for 15. It costs me more to eat at McDonald's a week than it would to keep my VR club up for three years. Right. You know, yeah. and plus a little bit of dev and you might find some people that might want to come in and help out. Like you would in Twitch, you're going to find moderators, people in VR, you're going to find mods and people that come maybe help do little projects. But you spend that initial up front and it's like a website. You know, you, you're building it and it's going to be your brand and you have that branding opportunity to do different things inside of that place. And I've always seen people go out there and try to use the free stuff. Well, everyone wants to do it for free. People complain about spending $15 for a Mixcloud account. And, okay. you know, they kind of see all the eyeballs are on Twitch and not a lot of eyeballs are on Mixcloud. Or how do you switch everyone over from Twitch to Mixcloud and do both? You know, and, and, and well, that's marketing, you know, and, and you see people that don't have any growth in their brand. And it's like, well, what are you doing to market? Well, I post on social media. You mean somewhere where only three or five percent of your people are actually seeing your post? Yeah. Are you are you are you in any forums? Are you in any discords? Are you on any Reddits? Are you doing any interviews with other people? Maybe out, what? Well, I tell all my friends. Uh, you think they see? Uh, and you don't think there's also eighty-five other million things that are going on at the same time? Your friend? Yeah, there's just so much. Yeah, it's it's hard to cut through the clutter, which kind of segues us right into our mobile studio. Uh, you know, one of the things that are one of our biggest assets that helps get a lot of eyeballs on us, at least locally here. And we're launching one down in Phoenix too. <laughs> it's being built right now. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're super excited. And so um, the mobile studio was designed as a way to pull up to events, get a lot of eyeballs on our mobile studio years ago but now through technology we can actually drive around have djs playing in it we've added a concert grade sound system to the existing sound system it's loud and get all those eyeballs but also stream live from it as we drive around you know through the streets of seattle so um marketing awesome. you know using and that comes because i own an advertising company that does guerrilla advertising marketing and i got the truck specifically for my shows but also found out I could sell advertising on the side of it during the day and then use the truck for whatever I wanted to at night. Um, we use it actually more, a lot more for the DJ session stuff now, which is my advertising company's number one client. Um, gotcha. 
but uh, you know, we just added video walls to it. Um, the truck down in Arizona will have a full video wall with removable video walls with people being able to get in the back and party with a concert grade sound system on it. Uh, you'll see it rolling through. You'll see it soon enough. Probably a couple months that's exciting. for that, but that's marketing. I mean, if I had to pay for that marketing, if I charge a client for that marketing for four hours, probably anywhere, depends on what kind of contract they would do. Let's say they did a third, a three month contract with me to do it once a week. I'd probably charge them anywhere from $2,500 to $4,000 per time to do that. So that value of marketing that we get, that goes into our brand. So when we go out there and look for those sponsorship dollars, we can add that to our asset list of saying, look at what we're doing. We have okay. events. We have this. We have this. We have these tie-ins. We have these contests. We have all this stuff going on. The live streaming and podcast numbers are a small portion of our pie of our complete package of what we can offer to a brand. Hence why we were looking at mid six figure deals in 2020 with right. one client. And we were actually looking, my goal was about two and a half million in, in 2020, what we were looking to generate um, and grow from there. So, um, but those are all the things, I mean, I'm kind of one of those crazy unique um, entrepreneurs, you know, that, that I get to do this for my day job. You know, uh, I'm not working a 40 hour and a 60 hour and then, you know, maybe have the family life or have my other hobbies, um, you know, like play baseball or go to football games or this. It, I, it's all encompassing. And I've learned over time, though, I do have to take breaks. Otherwise, I'll burn out. Right. It's great to do what you love. But sometimes you got to understand that you have to set boundaries. Um, but we're not I'm st we're still growing. So there's no boundaries that are there. Well, as long as technology is still growing and evolving, I mean, it is. You kind of just have to embrace it. That's right. You know, um, I. Some people are afraid of everything coming out and all the different platforms. I mean, it's a lot. It is overwhelming. But yeah. you kind of, they're kind of very similar competitors to each other. So, it's, I mean, just look at social media, like the advent of it and what's going on with it, and and and. You just kind of, it's not great if you get to the psychological ramifications, but that's mm -hmm. a whole other podcast. What I'm getting <laughs> at is just, you just got to embrace what you want to do for what you're. True. Uh, I mean, if, like I said earlier on, if somebody comes to me right now and they're like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to do live stream or, and, or I'm going to do live streaming. I would literally say, okay, what about VR? Oh, I, I don't, I don't want to get into that. That's not, you, you've, you've lost me. If you're not even just to even set up a world with your name in it and some little items say, come visit me here, you know, or a link or just the basics of that's to me like saying, I don't even want to have a website. Right. And I, or I don't even want to have a social media platform. So, you know, I would look and say, pick your VR platform, pick your live streaming platform, pick your podcast platform, get yourself a website, pick a social media platform. You really want to focus on whether that's, TikTok or Instagram, go with something that uses hashtags or Twitter, even though that's a whole funny situation with that going on right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm still, I don't think Twitter's going to go anywhere, but you know, the whole Elon thing and yeah, that's kind of fun. I watched that, like, <laughs> you know, pick those things and then set that up and say, that's my development path. And, you know, if you, if you develop them and go with them and then go, okay, you know what? Maybe I picked a VR platform and I like that. And, I maybe have the bandwidth to go to another VR platform as well. 
and start connecting there, you know, cause you got to pick something to stick with it. This bouncing around or not doing anything, you're already stifling your growth. And it, it only online is only becoming, is still becoming more and more prevalent. It, it, it's, it's there. The physical thing is like you said, I'd like to go to Tomorrowland or I'd like to go to EDC or I'd like to go to winter music conference. Um, I mean, we're just talking stateside events. Can you go to all of them? Okay. That's great. If you can, can you see everything going on at all of them? No, because they're only getting bigger and bigger and there's too many stages and too many stages. So, (laughs) you know, you look at it like that and and it's like, okay, cool. Now, what if I could go to, to, you know, what if I could pick and choose or like Coachella? Now I am seeing this and the bigger events have the means to do this, but their mindset still comes from if we put this online, will it impact physical ticket sales? Right. You know, and, and I have this conversation with a lot of promoters in the past. I had this conversation t- almost 15 years ago with nightclubs that I was coming in just to do an interview with the DJ, an interview with the promoter, an interview with the manager, and, you know, and maybe get a little tour of the club and show B-roll footage in a 22 and a half minute episode on broadcast television. And they said, well, if you show people on TV what the club is like, they're not going to want to come down. Yeah. And I went on a 22 and a half minute expose piece on your club. What? That was their mindset. And even, even when the pandemic hit, I was talking to a nightclub guy who is no longer in the business anymore. And I knew this the moment he said it to me, I'd known him for a couple of years. He said, I will never stream live from my nightclub. Because, (laughs) because if I stream live and people are at home watching, they're not down here buying drinks. I said, well, then set it up as pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. or just say, hey, guess what? If we sell 90% ticket sale, you can buy an online ticket, but it'll only go online live if we hit 90% in ticket sales. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you didn't, okay, we're just going to refund your money back or get down to the club. I've looked at it of trying to, to uh, whitelist it for z- down to the zip code. We're down to the state level, and unfortunately, it just can't be done yet with the technology. Hopefully, we can see that happen so I can start selling shows and saying, hey, I have Celebrity DJ coming into town. Celebrity DJ, we're going to go on a back-end streaming deal, but we're going to make it so that a 200-mile radius around the nightclub, anyone with a credit card, they will not be able to purchase. They will not be able to buy. Anyone outside of that 200-mile radius, yes, they can buy a ticket and watch your live stream to your event. Or we can even block out, oh, you're playing in this city and this city. We can block out those next date cities as well as long as 200-mile radius round so that way this, those cities don't get impacted by your sets, you know, or, or something like that to, to make it so that people around the world – so we could be selling tickets to a show of people watching your show over in Germany or over in Japan or in Australia or wherever, and they could be doing this – via live stream, via a site. They could be doing this in VR in our VR nightclubs with glasses on. I mean, shit, they could put the new AR glasses on and pull up a big screen and be at the park and be like, wee, I'm watching Ferry Corstein at the park right now with my friends who's playing in Tomorrowland. And it's in a big, huge IMAX type screen in the middle of the park and they're dancing. Wee, 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 you know, the whole show. That's there. That is coming. So if people, again, aren't looking at VR as a media or taking it seriously, if they're in entertainment and they are not taking it seriously, I've been in this game for 30 years. I know what, I know where the trends are going. And it's, it's pretty 
evident when you see companies like Meta packing the dang product. Yeah. I know they're they're probably will take the Xbox theory and sell units at a loss when they should be charging seven hundred and fifty dollars. They'll sell them for three hundred just to get them in the hands of everyone to get that data that you're logged in through your Facebook account or your Meta account, what programs you're downloading, what you're spending, what's going on in there. They've even released their own environment, Horizons. You don't. I, I talked with the lead developer, Project Aria, their VR person. She's like, we're 15 years out on this stuff. When I say 15 years out, they're planning 15 years in advance of what wow. the talks they have. They're not like, it's not going to happen for 15 years. It's like, we are planning our planning stages. We're here and we've been doing this for the last five years. So we know where the rollout's going to be and what the stages of this development plan are. That's how these companies think, how they go. You know, that's why there's a new iPhone every year. They had the yeah. new iPhone that's coming out next year was already built seven years ago. Yeah. You know, they, they know where that was going, you know, in their R and D department. So super excited for VR, super excited for silent concerts, super excited to be down in Arizona. Yeah, that's super awesome. excited to put you on our mobile billboard <laughs> truck down there. Well, we'll see. Yeah. It's some <laughs> awesome. fun. Stuff. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff. I mean, it's great to hear that. Like, I, I just, it's just like, I've never been afraid of technology despite the onset. I just, it's just a lot. And I get that it's overwhelming to a lot of people and spe specifically like DJs and, and producers and people that got on during the pandemic. So I just kind of wanted to address that. But um, well, for those that uh, have not seen, I'm going to put this up again. Feel free to log on to the djsessions.com. I mean, it's a wealth of information, all the episodes, all the social media where you can find the DJ sessions. Um, there's a lot to kind of take in, um, <laughs> like I have been for the last few days. So I hope this cleared this up. And, and thank you, Darren, for, for being my guest. This is awesome. Maybe it was fun. I can't wait to come down to AZ and hang out with you. I'm coming down on June 10th. We're live. June 10th, 11th, and 12th. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure All, right. It out. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode. Um, the replays in video form will be up right away. Uh, and then the audio will be up soon this week and you'll be able to uh, have this wherever you listen or, or watch. So thanks to everybody tuning in. I know there's been uh, one person logged in this whole time listening to us. So that's awesome. Um, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Stay awesome. safe. Thank you for having me.